You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Scott McNamara. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan. We uh, feel the same way about you guys. Jay and I regularly pinch each other uh, just for fun and then pinch each other because we're so amazed uh, that we're, we get to be part of the Promise Church. Uh, you got to keep the romance alive. You know what I'm talking about, people. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. I'm happy to be here. And as Ken said, we do think that you guys are the ones with the accent and not us. So if you like my accent listening in the building or on TV right now, I've always wanted to say that, on TV right now. I know my mom's watching. I feel like a real, uh, I feel like I've really made it because I'm on TV, yeah? I'm on her TV, so this is it. This is success for me in my eyes. Uh, But as I always tell everybody, my American friends, you're the ones with the accent, okay? So I thank you for your compliments about my accent. Keep it coming. But you are the ones with the accent. So just so you guys know that, okay? Make sure we're clear. Okay, let me just uh, set my stopwatch because I do have a lot that I want to say just because I feel like I haven't said a lot lately. I've been indoors, uh, quarantining-ish, trying my best. No, I have really, honestly, if you're watching uh, uh, Department of Health. Uh, So I've been trying my best and and quarantining and doing everything that we should do. My mask is over there on my seat, nice black mask. So, uh, but it's great to be back here together after this couple of week hiatus. So I kind of feel like I've got a lot inside that I want to say. So if I start saying too much and you don't like it, then just like throw something at me or Jeffrey, take off your Jordan and throw it at me or something like that. Yeah, that sound good? Okay, so we're going to try our best to get through everything that we have. I believe the Spirit is going to encourage us with what we have. So let's pray and then we'll jump on in. Lord, I thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Jesus, that we are back together as a church family. Thank you that there is nothing that can separate us from your presence, Lord. There's no virus, no sickness, nothing can stop you building your church. Nothing can stop us meeting and loving each other. Um, We want to respect our community, which is why we have this, this gap, Lord. But I thank you that we're here together again today. I pray that you'd be with us. I pray for everybody watching at home, that you'd bless them, that, Lord, that they would encounter your spirit as much as those that are in this room. Thank you that you don't, we don't need to be in a room to encounter you because you're always in every room. So, Lord, we pray for your presence to be strong here and for those who are watching at home. And we just commit this time to you. We give this time to you and ask you, Holy Spirit, just help me to really give away all that you've given inside of me, Lord, we pray that you be glorified and you be honored. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, lift you up. And everybody said, amen, hallelujah, God is good, praise the Lord. Come on, let's give Jesus a round of applause. Amen. Amen. So we're going to kick off and we're going to continue with our series of evangelism that Aaron Pastor Aaron started last week. As you can tell, this is one that I'm personally excited about. And evangelism week is one that I'm just like, yeah, this is cool for me. I don't have to kind of sweat too much blood to produce a talk for this one. So I'm happy about this. As uh, Pastor Jonathan kindly plugged in my book, it will be available in the foyer. And if you're, you call it a foyer in America? Lobby, lobby, lobby okay. In the lobby. Uh, so if you were not here presently, then you can order it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble or our website. Um, Now, the good thing about this book is that, well, I wouldn't say the good thing, but let me just put it this way. I'm not talking about going to the third heaven. 
I'm not talking about uh, the, the, uh, an exegesis in the book of Isaiah, okay? These are all great things, but I'm not writing about that. This book is a collection of six years of Holy Spirit keys and downloads that he's given me that I'm giving away. So for that reason, I'm just saying it's, it's something that's, it's, it makes sense for everybody. It's not like a, a niche uh, uh, individual sort of uh, uh, section of, of a community I'm reaching, if that makes sense. It's just a, a something that the whole body of Christ, I believe, needs. You know, we're all called to share the gospel, okay? Uh, we're not all called to visit the third heaven. Now, I've got no problem with those who do that. I'm just saying it's, uh, it's something that we all need for the gospel. I better shut up before I offend somebody. Okay, but you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so we're going to kick off, and I'm going to talk about this here. Giving up all control... So, hang on, sorry, because I know Christiana's maybe rephrased it slightly. Okay, G- giving up control so he can take, so he can have full control. Okay, so giving up all control so he can take full control. This is a, a phrase that I've had for a while that I felt the Holy Spirit gave me. It is really what I would sit down with somebody if they say, give me one sentence and tell me what evangelism is to you in one sentence. That's what I would say. It's giving up all control so he can take full control. That's just the best way I can describe it. But in order for you to give up that control and for him to take that control, there's something that is needed for that, transit, for that uh, exchange to take place. What is needed? Well, there needs to be a trust and there needs to be a partnership that is born out of trust. So I want to tell you guys how we can have that. But in order to get that, we've got to conquer something first. What we've got to conquer is the fear the spirit of fear, and also ourselves, because those two things get in the way and rob us from really getting into a place where we can give up all our control. Now, I know we want to do that. I know we look at people uh, in the faith that we admire, and you say, man, I would love to be like him or her. I would love to be able to share the way they do. I'd love to make disciples. You know, I don't meet a believer who says, I really don't want to do that. Of course we want to do it. But often, we get robbed. And the things that rob us are fear, the spirit of fear, and ourselves. So if we can work through that, and if we can address those things, then we can get to a place where we can find out how it is that we figure this partnership thing out. So that's kind of what I want to look at initially, okay? So the spirit of fear. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. After the service is finished, I don't know if, you, if Pastor Jonathan mentioned this, but after the service is finished, what we're going to do, we're going to meet in the, in the lobby, not the foyer, the lobby, and we're going to congregate, and we're going to have a 10-minute training, and then we're going to go outside, and we're going to stop the first person we see, and you are going to tell them about Jesus. Okay? Okay. Now, the good news for some of you is that I'm only joking, but I want you to tell me right now, be totally honest, Tim's like, oh man, I want to do that, but we can do it privately. But let me, let me ask you a question, be totally honest, because you're in church, you can't lie. Who felt a sudden emotion of fear rising up inside of them in that moment? Be totally honest. Who, who suddenly, just, whoa, whoa, what's this guy saying? Like, who felt like this moment of, okay, I feel a little uncomfortable right now. Okay, I saw some hands go up. I'm sure some hands are going up for those watching. Even at the sound desk, hands are going up. Okay, um, so what I want to address is why do, why do we put our hand up? Why do we feel that sudden fear at that moment? Now, I do that test uh, quite often when I travel around training churches in Jesus at the door. It's a little barometer for me so I can find out who, uh, who's afraid and where the level of fear is exactly at in the room. It's a great little test to, to figure out, to, to know what people are feeling. But really, why do we feel afraid at just going and walking up to someone and telling them about the person we love? Like, why is that the case? Like, it, shouldn't make, it doesn't really make any sense, but it is true. 
because fear is a spirit and it wants to rob you from your destiny. And the reason that it happens is what the Apostle Paul tells us here. We read it here in Galatians 5.17. The Apostle Paul said this, there's a war inside of me. You see, I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. There's this war going on between my flesh, myself, and my spirit man. There's this battle, there's this battle going on. You know, when I want to do this, I don't, want to, I don't do it, and then I don't, you know, there's this kind of war going on. And Jesus said himself in Matthew 26, 41, he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, there's a war going on. There's a war that's taking place in your life in many areas. Pastor Jeffrey touched on it before, about the, the war that goes on when we are spending time with the Lord, or the war that goes on between how we spend our hours and our minutes. You know, but there's a war going on in the area of soul winning and the area of rescuing people from the clutches of hell. There's a war that, goes t- that takes place between your spirit man and your flesh man and yourself. And that's kind of what I want to look at a little briefly uh, here. So picture yourself in this situation, okay? You're in Walmart, if you're like me. Or maybe you're a little higher class and you're shopping Safeway. Uh, But you're there and you're kind of doing your thing and you're just kind of shopping and, and, and getting your stuff. And as you're walking through, this moment happens. This little person pops, and it doesn't really happen. You're thinking, this guy's crazy. But, you know, just like, bear with me. So somebody comes onto your shoulder and it's your spirit man. The spirit man pops on your shoulder and starts saying this, Lily, okay, there's a person over there and I want you to go over and you're going to share with them, okay, and they're going to get born again and you're going to disciple them, you're going to baptize them, their family's life's going to change, like this is going to be great, the whole thing's going to happen. And you hear the spirit man on your shoulder saying that and you start to believe it and you're like, man, I, I think this, I really believe this and you're about to step into that space. But just before you do, the flesh man comes on the shoulder. The self comes on the shoulder and says, whoa, 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 whoa. What are we doing here? What what are we about to do right now? Stop, wait, think about what you're thinking about doing right now. You see, what could happen is this. What probably will happen is you'll walk over to that innocent person who's just trying to shop. Okay, They don't want to be assaulted by some uh, proselytizer. Okay? And you're going to go over and you're going to start telling them about Jesus. It's going to really offend them. It's going to re- it's be very inappropriate because you know, they didn't come here for that. And then they're going to turn you away. And because you haven't got the skill set to do what it is you think you can do anyway, they're going to turn you away. You're going to fumble your words. You're going to look stupid. And they're going to be very, very offended. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And there's this war that goes on between your spirit and your flesh and yourself. And it's this war and you're, you're thinking, man, I could, but then you don't. And the reason you don't do it and the reason many of us have lost that battle more times than not is because your flesh is the more dominant voice. That's why we lose the fight. If your spirit man was stronger than your flesh, then you would win. And you would see the person, when I'm walking through Walmart more often than not, I see an individual and I feel the spirit man come on, Scott, go get that person, okay? And what I do is I don't give credence to the other voice, and believe me, I do get the other voice still, that says, hey, what are you doing? Don't do this. And I just ignore that. Why? Because my spirit is more dominant than my flesh. So I just go straight to it and I deal with it. Does it always work? No, but that's not my problem anyway. That's not my part anyway. My part is to faithfully, in season and out of season, as we read in the book of Timothy, to share the gospel. So I just go and I do what I've been called to do. How are we going to win that war? 
The way we win that war is this. Here's a phrase for you. The gospel is self-destructive. So this is how we win the war. We share the gospel because it will destroy ourselves. So the more we share, the more ourself will get destroyed. The more our flesh will get nailed to the cross. So we keep going and we keep going. You're like, but I don't feel it. Yesterday we took Lily out um, uh, to share the gospel. We did some evangelism training with her. First time she's ever uh, approached a stranger to share the gospel and she's uh, doing Jesus at the door with them. She's never done it before. But at the beginning, she's feeling really uncomfortable. Why? Because her flesh is like, I don't want to do this before we left the house. She's like, I'm really nervous. I feel sick. But you know what? She did it. And then she did it again and again and again and again because I'm a taskmaster and if you're with me, you're going to do it a lot. So she kept going after person, after person, after person. Guess what? By the end of the day, she didn't feel as afraid as as she did at the beginning. You see, the more you share, the more yourself will be destroyed. But we've got to keep sharing and keep sharing. So here's a picture for you the Holy Spirit showed me once. Have you, are you familiar with the uh, chrysalis stage where it's, a, it's a, beautiful, uh, a beautiful part of nature and creation that, that God is just showing off, I believe, in, in moments like this? And you've got a ground-dwelling lava. You've got a caterpillar, not even. And this ground on the floor. And what happens, there's a, there's a transition moment, there's a metamorphosis moment where this caterpillar metamorphosizes. Uh, it's, it's cocooned in this lava and it begins, to, it begins to break out of the cocoon and something miraculous happens like creation. It just forms these wings. And as the wings begin to form, it, 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 it changes, it metamorphosizes from a caterpillar into a butterfly and it begins to leave the cocoon and it begins to fly freely. You see, that caterpillar was resigned to spend its life on the floor, just like sliming along on the floor, encased in a cocoon. But suddenly something happened. There was an innate desire in the caterpillar. And the innate desire was put there by the maker of the caterpillar. And the desire was this. I want you to apply some pressure, okay? Just like a baby nursing at the mother's breast. Okay, we don't have to teach a baby how to nurse. A baby's like, I, I'm just looking for it, yeah? I've got to find that thing I'm looking for. You know, you ever, as a dad, you hold your baby and your baby's like, before you know it, it moves its head from here and it's at your nipple. Why? Because it's innate in a baby, I've got to feed. There's more for me. There's more sustenance than I need to get. Okay, and it's like that in creation, and we are like that baby nursing at the mother's breast. If you're a frustrated Christian, I'm going to tell you why you're frustrated, because you ain't sharing the gospel. Simple as. You were created like that baby to find sustenance in sharing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. So you got that caterpillar on the floor, like, and it's in a cocoon, and this, uh, for this metamorphosis stage to happen, something happens in the caterpillar that says, I need to apply pressure. So it applies pressure, and it begins to move and shake and, and, and kind of get a bit, a bit rough. And as it does that, cracks appear in the cocoon. And as the cracks appear, the wings begin to form. This is the same for Christians. Okay, you come to Jesus and you're there in your little caterpillar, uh, you're a little caterpillar and you're there in your little cocoon. And you come to church and you raise your little caterpillar hands. And you've got your little caterpillar Bible that you're reading, yeah? But you're there cocooned and many of us stay our whole lives cocooned in this uh, cocoon-like state. Because we don't apply any pressure to break out and find our wings, and it's really, really heartbreaking when you meet people. I travel all over and I meet Christians all over the world. 
and they're just still in their cocoons. And some of them are big butch guys. And they can say all the right things and sing all the right songs, but they're there in their cocoons. Why? Because they haven't nailed their flesh to the cross. What we need to do is we need to apply pressure to our cocoon if we're going to form wings and we're going to begin to fly. You know how that happens? It happens by stepping out your comfort zone. It happens by doing something that your flesh doesn't want you to do. And by saying, hey, I'm going to do it anyway. We're not piloted by our feelings. We are a people of faith. Okay? We are a people of faith, yeah? Not feelings. We are led by faith. So we need to start listening to the voice of faith and not the voice of feelings. Does that make sense? Okay. Is that, is that cool with you guys? You get where I'm coming from? So what I want you to do is begin to break out of that cocoon, okay? And that's what I want to try and give you some of the, uh, the, the skills to do that, okay? This is something that my pastor, my old pastor once said, this beautiful picture which really stuck with me. Now, I want to show you why you feel the way you feel. I want to show you why you're cocooned. I want to show you why it's so hard to do uh, something like uh, Lily just did yesterday. I want to tell you why it's so hard. The reason it's so hard is because the cost is so great. And this is what my old pastor said. He had this great phrase. Now, you think of scarecrows. You guys know what scarecrows are. Okay, what are scarecrows? What is the job of a scarecrow? And the kind of answers in the, uh, in the question. To scare the crows, not too deep. We ain't going too deep this morning, people. Okay, the job of a scarecrow is to scare the crows. But to the intelligent crow, the scarecrow is an advertisement. So if you're a smart crow, you're flying around and, and you're like, whoa, well, hang on. There's one of those scarecrow things. There's one of those things that we're all meant to be scared of. But I know that the scarecrows, they're really there because they're protecting the treasure. You see, if I want the good stuff, I'm going to go where the scarecrow is because that's why it's there to try and keep me away. So the smart scarecrows, they go to where the scarecrow, uh, the smart crows go to where the scarecrows are because that's where the treasure is. I want to tell you the devil is a super scarecrow. And what he loves to do, he loves to hang around places where the treasure are and try and, and try and scare you. Don't come around here. Don't come around the chop zone. Don't come around the Portland riots because there's a lot of treasure there. In the book of Isaiah, it says that there's treasure hidden in darkness. You see, there's treasure everywhere. Your next door neighbors walking through Walmart, Safeway, anyone who belongs to him, and anyone who's made in his image is treasure. And the devil is doing a really, really good job to the church at scaring us away from that treasure. But if we would only believe what he's called us to do and believe in his power, we would step into these places and we'd see that, hey, actually we can do it. It's not as scary as I thought. But in order to do it, we need something. And that something is partnership. You see, the good news in evangelism is that it's not about you. I have this little phrase. It's not about you anyway. It's about his power on display, which means everyone gets to play. It's not about you. It's about him at work. All he's inviting you into is an invitation to partnership. That's it. The Holy Spirit says, will you partner with me? My dear friends, Jeremy and Amanda, if you've never seen them dance, I just encourage you after the service just go and check, will you show me a little twirl or two? Because, I mean, these guys are amazing. And uh, they've got the moves, I'm telling you. And when Jeremy and Amanda dance, okay, there's this, like, fluid motion where she knows where he's gonna, how he's going to lead, 
Amanda knows how he's going to lift her. You know, there's all this like whole like coordination that goes on between them two because they've spent hours and hours practicing. You see, to be so close to someone in a dance, in a, to be in a dance with somebody, that, that there's this coordination, there's this kind of like second guessing, you've got to know where they're going to move. And that only comes through time. To be graceful like these guys are when they dance, you know, that only comes through experience and time. And the Holy Spirit is the Lord of the dance. And he's inviting you in and he's saying, will you come and dance with me? Together we'll dance. Together we'll forge this beautiful, graceful dance routine. And people will look and they'll be amazed at how beautiful it is. That's what the Lord has on offer for you. But often we just sit there and we don't engage in this invitation. We don't accept it. You see, evangelism is about invitation. And the Holy Spirit extends that invitation to every blood-bought believer. And he says, me and you together, let's do it. You see, he doesn't want to leave anybody out because it's his, his prized possession. His treasure is so important, he wants you to be involved in rescuing it, which is really beautiful. Okay, how long do I have? I have a really cool story, but I don't have time if I have time to share it with you. Okay, let me share it real quick. Okay, this is, I just want to share it real quick because this is a great scarecrow story. Now, some of you are going to know this story, but it's beautiful, so if you, and some of you won't, so that's why I want to share it. Okay, and I'll do a quick version of it, right? I was in England, and Jesus at the door had been birthed. I hadn't been anywhere to train it, and I get an invitation to go to, uh, to, go to a place in England to train it. First time out of my hometown where the Holy Spirit gave me Jesus at the door, thousands were getting saved in our community, but I'd never been outside of our town. And, you know, people say things like, we had a move of God. It was revival town where I lived in Ireland during a three-year period. And people would say things like, man, the only reason that you're seeing what you're seeing is because this church sold for 15 years. That's why you're seeing what you're seeing right now. 15 years of sowing, 15 years of plowing the ground. That's why you're seeing what you're seeing. And I didn't believe it. I, was like, I just didn't feel it was of the Lord. And, and I, I really kind of wrestled with it. And I realized, man, it wasn't true. I mean, partly, yeah, because obviously you sow and then you reap, partly. But the truth and the real reason why we were seeing what we were seeing is this. Because the gospel is a sledgehammer. And if you're willing to apply a sledgehammer to a surface, you may have to hit it a few times because something's going to crack. You see, the gospel is a sledgehammer. And I, all I did is I took hold of that sledgehammer and I took it into my community where nobody else was holding a sledgehammer um, I, and I begin to, began to apply it. You see, for 15 years in my church history, there was a lot of, here's a can of Coke, and, and this is not being derogatory, there was a lot of what we called servant evangelism, giving things away, <coughs> blessing people. But there was no, do you want to hear the gospel? Here's Jesus, do you want him right now? Nobody had done that. So the reason it shifted is because I stood there with my sledgehammer gospel and I believed that this could knock, knock down the bricks built around people's hearts. You see, many hold the gospel like a feather. Instead of smashing down the bricks around their hearts, they want to tickle their ears with it. Why? Because they don't know the power that they wield. So when I took my sledgehammer, I start smashing down bricks around people's hearts and things start changing. That's why I saw what I saw, I really believe. So I get invited and I go to this town, small town, there's about 25 people at the training and I'm looking around, there's two guys, two Johns, one on this side and one on this side. These guys are like pasty looking, knee knocking, scared of their own shadow type individuals and they're making me nervous. One guy here, one guy here. Now, if you've ever been around people who are socially awkward, uh, this is not a pop at you, but I'm just saying if you struggle with that and you spend time with people who are really, really socially awkward, it kind of makes you feel a little awkward at times if you don't know them. 
you know, when you first meet them and they're like doing weird things like looking at you and, and you know, little moves and stuff and, you know, kind of rubs off on you a bit and you're kind of, you start like copying it and, and just like if you're with a real confident person, they put you at ease and make you feel at ease. So these guys are looking at me and I'm like, man, stop looking at me. You're making me feel nervous because they're like, you know, like they're like white and they're like really nervous because they were scared about that we were going to be taking them out after. Anyway, so we cut to the chase. In my head, I'm thinking, mental note, don't put these two freaky guys together who are scaring me right now. You know, don't make them like partners, yeah? Because that would be a bad thing. So we're going out the door and everybody gets partnered up and I turn around and who's together? Like two magnets brought together through their mutual fear are the two Johns. And I'm like, this is going to be a disaster, man. These two should not be together. This is going to be bad. So we go to the community and we start knocking on doors. Now, I didn't know where they were going because I didn't know the area and what it was like. But it turns out that they went to the worst street in the whole community. (laughs) Just by chance. And they turn up at the street. And this is what happens. True story. Knock on the door. Excuse me, can we... uh, What do you want? Can we just tell you about this? Listen, listen. I've got a reputation in this street. You want to talk to me? You come inside. This guy's got a scar down his face. He was a gangster. His name was Ricky. So the two Johns look at each other like they're already white, but they go a lot whiter. And then these are already knocking, but they're knocking a lot louder. And the shadow gets a lot bigger. And they like nudge up to, towards each other. And the guy's like, do you want to come in or what? And they're like, they're like lambs led to the slaughter. So they kind of step over the, the threshold into his house. And the guy's like, look, I don't know what you want. But before you tell me what you want, I better tell you something because you might not want to stay. And they're like, and he's like, I have warrants out for my arrest for kidnapping and torture. The police are looking for me for kidnapping and torturing people. So, so the guys are like even more white, even more knee knocking. Uh, and then they can't even speak. They're like, they don't know what to say. So Ricky says, go in my living room. I'll put the kettle on and we'll have a brew, which is tea to Americans. We'll go and we'll have a cup of tea because even gangsters drink tea where I come from. So go inside, have a brew, and then uh, you can tell me whatever you want to tell me. So Ricky leaves to put the kettle on. And then the two Johns are there. And John, the, the one, John 1 turns to John 2 and says, let's make a room for it. We can get out right now uh, before he comes back with the tea tray. Let's do it. And the other John, John 2, says this. He says, no, man, I'm scared, but I can't go. I need to know that I did it just once for the Lord. So they stand their ground, and they go into the living room. They go in, and they wait for Ricky, and he comes with with the tea, and then they they have the tea, and Ricky's like, okay, what what do you want to tell me? So John, number two, steps up, and he says, okay, I just want to read this to you. So he begins to read our equipping card. Now his hands are shaking. He can barely like see it because he's, you know, he's like shaking so much. But you know, all he does is just races through it real quick because he's thinking, get me out of here. Gets to the end. He hears a voice. I want to let him in. Excuse me. What's that? I want to let him in. Now he's thinking, did I miss a bit? Did I do it wrong? I've never done it before. Maybe I messed it up, you know? So the guy's like, I want to let him in. So he's just like prays with him, like real quick prayer, to, to just let him to accept Jesus. So he prays with the guy, and he's like, okay, here's our church flyer. And, uh, you know, because there was no church. It was a church plant that the pastor was planting a church. He brought me and two of my new believers for five days to canvas the whole area. And by faith, he was going to plant a church after we leave. Wow. No pressure for us, you know. And that's what he did. So 
we, he gives them this flyer to, to the scout hall, the Boy Scouts hall. That was where the, the mission was. And he said, here's where we are. Thank you. Bye. And they just like, get me out of here quick because they're like scared, you know. So they go, I think they only stop at one house that, that whole day because two things. One, they can't believe it worked. And two, they're like, that was scary enough. I'm not going to go through that again. So they go back to the mission center. The next day, Ricky wakes up and he starts smoking on his crack pipe because he was a crack cocaine addict. And that's what he did. So he's taking his crack and he ain't getting high. And he's like, why am I not getting high? This is crazy. And then he's taking, he takes more, smokes more. He's like, I ain't getting high. So he puts it down, picks up some alcohol, but he just vomits the alcohol back up. It was like the Lord had put a blocker on his body from sinning. And as he's in this kind of moment where he's like, I don't really understand. He's in this kind of, uh, this quandary. And he's like, How did, what's going on right now? He remembers the two Johns. The two pasty looking, knee knocking, scared of their own shadow individuals with the shaky picture. And he begins to smile because he remembers that he prayed to let Jesus in. And as he's smiling, beep, beep, the horn is honking outside. His two gangster friends in the car. Gets into the car. True story, this. Gets, uh, gets into the car. They're driving down the road. The cops pull him over. So you've got three guys and the cops pull him over. They come over. They say this. Give me your name, address, all your, all your details, yeah? So he gets to the first guy, writes him down. Next guy. Gets to Ricky. Ricky's anticipating the guy stopping him. He's thinking, if he stop, if, if I tell him the truth, I'm going to get incarcerated. So I'm going to lie, obviously, because, you know, and he's a career criminal. So he's about to lie. And as he's about to open, he opens his mouth and he hears this. Tell the truth. He hears a voice speak to him. Tell the truth. And he's like, what? What is, what's going on? And the officer's pressing him. Come on, what's your name? What's your name? So Ricky's like, man. So he tells the truth. Because he realizes that that was God speaking to him. Tells the truth. The policeman goes away, radios it through, comes back. So you can go. We have nothing. You can go. We have nothing. And you can go, we have nothing. Ricky's like, what do you mean I can go? I can go? You, you serious? I can go? And the policeman's like, we don't have anything for you, man. You know what he did? He left his gangster friends right there. And he came to our Boy Scout home. He came to the door. He came into the building. He found the pastors and said this. Jesus has wiped away my past. I don't know what's going on. But this is what happened. And he, we stood there in the kitchen. And he, he relays this story. I hear it firsthand in the kitchen making tea because we drink a lot where I come from. And we're there and I'm there with the two Johns except, well, only one John. John 2. One John, one 2. This sounds like a, a Bible school. One John. John 1, 2. John, John 1, 1 John 2. Okay. And then you've got the second John, the guy who's like, I've got to do it, do it uh, once before I leave. He's over here and he's making tea, rolls reversed. He's making Ricky's tea. You see, as he stood there, he didn't even feel worthy to be stood with the pastors. He's over here in the corner making tea. But I'm over here with Ricky and the, and the two pastors, and he's telling us this story. And as you can imagine, we're like, what? This is crazy, man. And as I look over, I see John over here making the tea. Very humble and assuming, man. And he's lit up like a Christmas tree. As he hears the story from the man at the door that he knocked on, petrified hands, knocked on the door of a gangster and he st stood there and he's looking and he's saying that's my fruit I did that because even just one time and look at the fruit from one time and I realized in that moment that Jesus at the door would be birthed on finding the Johns in the church that they're the people that we're coming for the ones who say, I can't do it not gifted enough don't have the abilities if we can awaken those 
people in the church, we can have a move of God we've never seen before. Every man, woman, and child can be released to say, hey, guess what? I ain't scared anymore. I'm a, I'm a scarecrow. I'm a crow that's going towards the scarecrows because I know there's treasure in that field. If we can awaken those kind of crows, then we can have a move of God that will shift everything. And what was amazing about John, he had so much that he was fighting with. He had been in a psychiatric hospital three years previous. He was in a padded cell, lost his mind, and the Holy Spirit rescued him. He had a lot that he was dealing with. But even with what he was dealing with, he could engage in partnership. You see, partnership is key. If you're, will, if you're willing to step into this dance and say, I don't know where you're leading me. Okay, you're, you're the lead partner. I'm just going to go wherever you lead me. But I'm willing to be led. If you will do that, then he is a great lead. And he'll lead you anywhere and everywhere that you need to go, I promise you. This thing is all about partnership. And what Jesus at the door will do for you. And this is why I want people to get this book, because it, w- it will really make evangelism easy, I promise you. We've seen people in different nations who have taken the, the tools and the principles that we teach and have gone and bore fruit. Last year, I was in England in November, last November, and I trained the church, and there was a man called Charles, 48 years a believer, never led one person to Jesus. He went out the week after I trained him with his wife in his neighborhood and led his first person to the Lord. We're seeing people doing this thing. And these are people that aren't experienced. They're novices. They're not confident. They're facing their own battles. But they're stepping out and they're doing it. When I first met Lily, she's like, man, I, the, the thought of speaking to, to somebody was, would like, just make me petrified. But now she's doing it. The rescued become the rescuers. Why? Because she engaged in partnership. And we can all engage in partnership. Okay, so now I just want to show you guys some scriptures <clears throat> as we bring this thing to land. Okay, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do this in two parts because I'm going to speak in a couple of weeks and I'm going to pick it up again from the second part. Okay, so I want to show you something real quick. And this is a really key uh, part of this. So I have two phrases to explain partnership. The first one is this, we share, he shakes. Everybody say, we share, he shakes. So this is how the Holy Spirit showed me. Everyone's like an apple on a tree. And when you share, he'll shake the tree. Some apples will fall, some will move a little, some won't move at all. But all you've got to do is catch those apples that fall. So we share and he shakes. Next one. We ride and he waits. Say it with me. We ride, he waits. Okay, Jeffrey, come on up here. I'm going to show you practically. I, I think in pictures, okay? So this is how it works. So Jeffrey, face that way, brother. Okay, you guys ever heard of a tandem bicycle? So on a tandem bicycle, it takes two people to ride it. And this is just the Holy Spirit speaks to me a lot in pictures. And this is one of the profound ways the Lord really explained what evangelism is to me. So this is how it works. On a tandem bicycle, you've got the person at the front. They're called the captain. This is official according to tandemology. person at the front is called the captain. The captain has two jobs. Job number one, to hold the bicycle while the person at the back gets on. Job number two is to navigate the course that is the, the role of a captain. The person at the back, their job is, uh, is, is one fold, is one job. Can you imagine what that job might be? To pedal. That's all they've got to do. Now, the name of the person at the back is really interesting. They're called the stoker. I have to clarify this because when I travel, people think I'm saying stalker. I went to a church in America and they thought I was saying that they're called the stalker. Stoke, stoker. As in stoking the fire. It makes it even more difficult with these braces. Stop that, Stoker. But you know, like to stoke the fire, yeah? 
That's where it comes from. It's funny because he's an all-consuming fire. So the stoker is called to pedal. And the Holy Spirit showed me. He said, Scott, I'm the captain. I'm the church of the stokers. And evangelism is like tandem bike riding. You see, I'm going to lead you every step of the way. But it will only work in partnership. You see, if you don't pedal, I ain't going. What's beautiful about a tandem bicycle is that each of the individuals are dependent on the other. Just like that dance, that dance partner. You take Amanda out of that picture, Jeremy just looks strange. He's doing all kinds of... He does it better than that, I'm just saying, but... It's just going to look weird, yeah? If you dance together, but you've got no, no other person, no counterpart, it just looks strange. The Holy Spirit has called us to do this together. It's a beautiful, beautiful fluid motion. So when Jer- uh, Jeffrey begins to ride, I begin to... Uh, sorry, when I begin to pedal, he begins to navigate. And I begin to pedal and he moves. Let's go. Let's move. Okay, so I start pedaling. Keep going. I start pedaling. And he starts moving. Now, what's interesting about this is I can't see where I'm going. All I can see is Jeffrey's back. Okay, so I don't know where he's taking me. He could be taking me anywhere. I'm not in control of where he takes me. See, I don't know where he's going. It's like the Holy Spirit. He'll move sometimes and you're not prepared. But as he's, as he's pedaling, uh, sorry, as he's driving, as he's riding, if I stop pedaling, watch what happens. So when I stop an individual, hey, can I just tell you about Jesus? No, I'm not interested, man. I guess the Holy Spirit's not stopping here then. Because if he was stopping here, this person would respond. Because no one can come unless they're being drawn. So I know if he's not, if this guy's not ready, hey, I'll just keep pedaling. Let's keep pedaling. And then the Holy Spirit keeps leading. Hey, I'm, I'm going to try this girl here. Let's try this girl. Hey, excuse me, uh, could I just tell you about you? No, I've got no time. I'm busy. I guess the Holy Spirit's not stopping here. Let's keep pedaling. So we keep going. Next person. Hey, excuse me, can I just uh, show, the, show you this picture, tell you about Jesus? Yeah, she's interested. Okay, let's stop here. And then what I'm going to do, I'm going to share and let him shake. And I'm going to figure out, is this an apple that's ready to fall or not? That's it. Now, that's not that difficult. Why? Because you're not leading it. Thank you. You can be my captain anytime. Now, what's beautiful about this is I tell people when I train them, I say this. When we go out today, I don't know what's going to happen because I'm not the captain. All I know is this. People are going to get saved because it is inconceivable that it would not happen when you have a captain like the Holy Spirit and you stay so close to him in partnership something is going to shift it's just it just has to happen something will shift whenever you're close to the Holy Spirit do you remember that story and I'm going to bring a scripture up now okay um, let's bring up the story of uh, in, in um, uh, Luke of the woman with the issue of blood do you guys remember that so we have a story in uh, Luke chapter is it, is it chapter 8 maybe? So we have the story. Yeah, Luke chapter 8, 44. I'm going to read this real quick. Coming up behind Jesus, she t- touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately the bleeding stopped. Remember that story? The woman who, who was bleeding, she had a 12-year she uh, a, a flow of blood. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, hemorrhaging, yeah. An issue of blood for eight year, uh, 12 years. Okay, she had this, this severe problem. And what happened? She came up behind Jesus. She came behind the captain. And guess what happened? Because she got so close to the power source, something shifted. You see, if you will partner and you'll get so close to the captain, get right behind the captain and touch the hem of his garment, something is going to shift. Something wonderful is going to happen. 
What we're called to do as believers is to get right up close, like the stoker, not the stalker. Like the stoker, we're called to get right close to the partner, to the captain. And as we get right close to the captain, something miraculous is going to happen. Because whenever you get close to the captain, miracles happen. And the greatest miracle is salvation. So all we've got to do is get close to the captain and something's going to change. Okay, Joshua 6, 2 to 5. I'm just going to show you a couple of uh, scriptural evidences of what I'm talking about. But the Lord said to to Joshua, I've given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Once a day for six days. Okay, that's interesting. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times. Everyone say seven times. With the priests blowing their horns. When you hear the priests giving one long blast of the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. And then guess what? The walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight for the town. Now, who kind of thinks... Who, who thinks that's a little far-fetched? So all you've got to do, you've got to walk around, blow the horn, cheer, and guess what? The walls will just come tumbling on down. Now that's, you know, to us we read that, and obviously we know it's true because it's in the Scriptures, but I mean, let's put yourself in that position. You know, you'd have to like really, really trust your counterpart to believe that that could happen. I mean, some people are like, man, I can't even approach this stranger in Walmart because it probably won't happen. Uh, you know, they probably won't be interested. Well, what about this? If, if you think that requires faith, then we can't even do that, most of us. But then you've got an army who the Lord says, just march around and shout, and I'm going to bring them walls tumbling on down. And guess what happened? It happened. Imagine the people. This is what baffles me. I just love thinking about this. Imagine those inside the walls. They probably stood there laughing. What do these crazy people think they're doing? Are they like deranged or what, man? They like really think they're just walking around and walking around. They actually believe what they're doing. They actually believe that this little act is going to change a circumstance and a situation. They actually believe that if they do what they're doing, that our walls are going to come tumbling down and they're going to become victorious. Like imagine the people looking down over those days, watching them doing that. But the Israelites knew something. They knew that whenever they got close to the captain, miracles happened. So they did what they were told to do and the walls came tumbling down. Do you know, when we teach people Jesus at the door, some some naysayers, they look at it and say, I ain't going to do nothing. But they can't deny the walls that come tumbling down around people's hearts when we share that simple card of nine points. You see, the gospel is that powerful. And sometimes we miss it because we think it can't be that easy. But you know what makes it easy? It's because you have a miracle-working captain who leads every step that you, that you take. That's what makes it easy. Take the Holy Spirit out of it, you've got nothing. But the Holy Spirit's presence is laced every word. So when you take him with you, and when you allow him to lead you, walls come tumbling down. Everything changes. <clears throat> Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, we read a story of Peter. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Too many people have made a career out of washing nets instead of fishing. 
But anyway, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper. Jesus loves to hang out in the deep. And let down your nets to catch some fish. You know, when you go deep, it gets dark. You see, there's treasures in darkness. Let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch one thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Makes no sense to me. I mean, it's crazy. I've already done this all night. It doesn't make any sense. But if you say do it, then I'll do it. And this time, the nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. You see, what happened is this. The first time Peter went fishing, he went alone. There's a lot of people I meet who are doing evangelism alone. Brother, I've been here for 20 years plowing this ground. It's hard ground. How much fruit do you see? Have you seen many disciples? No, it's going to happen, but I mean, I've got to plow the ground for 20 years. I don't believe that, man. I believe the gospel is so powerful that all you've got to do is release it and walls will come tumbling down. The problem is people are not in partnership with the captain. They're out there doing it alone and it looks nice and shiny and they've got all these books about it and they talk about it and it sounds great, but where's the fruit? You see, I don't want you to buy my book if there's no fruit. I don't want you to listen to a word I say if there's no fruit, but come closer to me and look at my life. There will be fruit if it's real and if it's of God. If there's no fruit, I'm not interested and I don't want it. Keep your book. But where there's fruit, there's a captain. And where there's a captain, there's partnership. You see, wherever there is partnership, there is power. If you bring the partnership, he promises to bring the power. One last one, and then I'll finish. This is my personal favorite. Don't you just love how you can read scripture and the Holy Spirit just speaks fresh, fresh manner every day. I just love how the Lord just does this. This just happened to me two weeks ago. I was reading Acts chapter 9. And the Holy Spirit just spoke this beautiful thing to me. And, uh, and I was like, man, I just, lo- I just love that. I've never seen that before. Acts chapter, Acts chapter, uh, chapter 9. Should be chapter 9. It says 1 here, but it should be 9. Okay, maybe you guys. Okay, I think, sorry, m- maybe you got that wrong. It was Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 18. But let, let, me, let me read it for you guys real quick here. Okay, this is, this is really beautiful. Now, just to give you a bit of context... Saul, who was going around killing Christians, uh, was on his horse and he got knocked off his horse by the blinding light and heard the voice of Jesus. Why do you persecute me? We all know that passage, most of us, okay? So Saul, the persecutor, the killer of Christians, had just been knocked off his horse and he's been blinded and he's there in the house in Damascus. And then this is what happens here. Uh, I'll pick it up from verse 10. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go. Everybody say go. Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, everybody say but Lord. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on his name. But the Lord, everybody say, but the Lord. But the Lord 
said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and, the, and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Just check this out. This is amazing. So you, you're there. Uh, Ananias is there, sitting there in Damascus. Many believers in Damascus. Many, many. Why does Ananias get the job? I'm going to tell you why. Because the Lord knew that he would go for him. Some people, you may look at people like me and you say, man, he's got some cool stories. He has a lot of fun. I'd love to do that. But the reason you don't get invited is because you wouldn't do it anyway. Ananias is there and the Lord speaks to him. Guess what he says? He says this, go. Go. Why does he say go? Because what did Jesus say? Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. I've never read a version of the Bible that says, stay and make disciples of all nations. You see, if you don't go, it ain't going to happen. Simple as. You know what the gospel means? Good news. What's the first two letters of gospel? What's the first two letters of good? What's the first two letters of God? I want to tell you this. Everything about Christianity screams, go! Go, 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 go. There is no amber there is no red. There is no tarrying anymore. It's go, 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 go. People's lives depend on it. And there comes the Holy Spirit to Ananias and says, Ananias, go. What does Ananias respond with? Okay, Lord, let's do it. No. He responds with this. But Lord. But Lord. But Lord. Nick, there's a person in Walmart really want, the Lord really wants you to go and share. They've murdered three people, but he really wants you to go and chat. But, but, but Lord, are you, are you serious? I want you to go to the chop zone. People are getting killed there. But Lord, are you, you see, we have a but Lord when the Holy Spirit speaks to us because we don't like it. We have an excuse. Ananias had an excuse. The, the Holy Spirit invited him into probably the greatest opportunity that any Christian person had ever experienced to baptize the Apostle Paul. Like this is probably the most monumental moment in Christendom. To, to go to the Apostle Paul as he just got saved. To pray for him for scales to fall from his eyes. To see him regain his sight, not just physically but, but spiritually. And then to baptize him, to put him into the waters of baptism. Probably the greatest, one of the greatest honors that we could read in scripture. And it began with an excuse. But Lord, you, you know, he's killing everybody. You, you really want me to do this? What's the Holy Spirit's response to your excuse? You say, but, but Lord. He says, but the Lord. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. It doesn't matter where he leads you. But Lord. The Holy Spirit's going to come back with, but the Lord. Have you not seen? Have you not heard? Do you not believe by now? Have you not seen enough in your life to know, but the Lord. Wherever you've got, but Lord, there's a but the Lord. And he went, and what happened? He got to witness one of the greatest miracles in church history. He got to see Saul become Paul, and he got to see him step out the waters of baptism and go and change uh, history forever. One man. We don't really know much about Ananias. There was no, the book, the gospel according to Ananias. It's not like he was a Christian celebrity, yeah? He wasn't that well known. But he got one of the greatest honors of all time. I want to tell you this, there are honors that are being extended to individuals around this world and often the ones who take it are the most unassuming and the ones that people don't even really notice in a room because they're willing to say, I'm going to go for you, Lord. You see, but Lord, I'm a little scared. 
but the Lord, I believe that you're, you can change everything. You can change my circumstance. I don't know what's going to happen right now, but all I know is that you're my captain and I'm willing to go behind and I'm willing to let you lead me. Okay, Ananias is like, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to go to this crazy guy who's killed a lot of Christians. But Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. But the Lord, I'm going to let you lead me and I'm going to go and I'm going to move. Okay, I'm just going to give you my, my movement, but I need you to do the rest. And he went there and there was Saul and then the scales came off his eyes and then he baptized him and the rest is history. But he could have missed it. He could have missed it by saying, but Lord, how many opportunities are we missing daily? Because we say, Lord, but Lord, I don't know. I don't know if I'm the guy. I don't know if I'm qualified. If you will only give him your yes and be willing to go and let him do the rest, he'll blow your mind. So that's what he's inviting you into today. It's so simple that we miss it. But it all hinges upon trust. If you don't trust him, you ain't going to go. Evangelism really is easy if you trust your counterpart. If you don't trust him, it's very difficult. If you don't know him, it's even more difficult. But if you would only put your trust in him and say, I'm going to let you lead me, and I believe that you can do what you say you'll do, then he'll not only change your life, but he'll change everybody else's. Holy Spirit, Lord, we thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Lord, that you are stirring the heart of your church in these days. Lord, I just ask you in this moment that you'd awaken Awaken compassion inside of us. We ain't going to go if we don't love. You say, love me and love your neighbor. But if we don't love, we're not going to bother ourselves to go. So Lord, would you change our hearts? Lord, I pray that the words you've given me in evangelism made easy. Lord, I pray that people that read it, Lord, I pray that they would get inspired by the keys that you put inside of that book. I thank you for already the feedback I'm getting on people that have been changed because of it. So, Lord, I just pray that you'd inspire our church. Lord, I want our church to be forerunners in this thing. I want you to shift something in our church family that we hear stories of multitudes who come and say, man, I couldn't do it. I never did it before. I couldn't do it. I have no confidence, but I went and I did it. Lord, I pray we'd be a church that's marked by that. Would you awaken us, I pray in Jesus' name. As we go about our week, Lord, would you inspire us to go and to trust you? In Jesus' name, amen.